ASI. This is episode 24. My name is Russ Shaw. This is Pray Praying Prayers Part 2. Shine down. It's like peeling back the layers on reasons to pray. Here you go. I still believe in a Part two of the prayer uh, shows, right? I wanted to address this topic of, here's the deal, um, time, identity, and defining words. One of the hard things I had with defining prayer was that uh, it, was, it was taught to me somewhere along the way that God listens to the prayers of the righteous person, right? The good person, good moral person. God's more uh, apt to hear that person's prayer than to hear my prayer, right? And and I had some hard time with that. I would think to myself, really? God has like teacher's pet, you know? Like little Pastor Johnny that's sitting up there in front of the class, you know, taking notes, being a good boy. God's going to listen to his prayer before he's going to listen to mine because I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm shooting spitballs at the back of little Johnny's neck. You know, I mean, that was me, all right? And I had, I had so, in approaching God, approaching God in prayer, talking to God, building this relationship with God via prayer, you know, that was one of those things like, all right, well, uh, this is one I had an issue with. It was a hurdle of a paradigm that I had to get over, okay? And and I've heard, and this is also, there's a, there's a parable in here also that can help shed some light on, on the quick fix, you know, kind of thinking. I've been doing this podcast for some years. I've spent a lot of years in recovery groups, and there's this mentality that says, I, you know, I, I, just give me the, give me the how, right? Just give me the how-to guide. Give me the pill. Give me the magic formula. The, the, give me the discipline. Give me the how-to. 
and I'll and I'll do this. I'll crank this out. I'll get rid of the unwanted behavior because that's what sexual addiction is, right? It's an unwanted behavior. There's some people that you know same sex attraction where they they're attracted to the same sex. They and listen, I'm not talking to you guys who are like, well, I'm just gay. That's just me. I'm gay. Got that as my identity. All right, we can, we'll talk about that later. But there's also folks who have same-sex attraction, and they look at it as, as an unwanted behavior. They don't want that, but it's there, right? So they they struggle with this too, and and they go to some of those places where they're like, well, how do I get rid of this unwanted behavior, or do I just sign up on uh, with my identity on Team Gay? Your identity is deeper than that. Sexual, you know, identity is is deep. It's deeper than what most people see on the surface. But th- there's more layers underneath it. All right. So whether it's same-sex attraction or sexual addiction, people will take sexual identity and they'll say, "Well, there is no how-to manual on how not to be gay or how not to be sexually uh, attracted to other women besides your." your number one object of beauty, which would be your spouse, right? Getting married and committing to one person lifelong and then having that person be your object of beauty and then, you know, just being monogamous with that person. A lot of people see that as a myth or, or un, unrealistic, which is not true either. It's just you, you bought into a different kind of religious belief you know, it's worldview. You know, uh, here's the deal with religion, defining religion real quick, all right? Religion has been redefined as worldview by a lot of college professors and universities around the world. So uh, it, it, that's your worldview. It's your dogma. You sacrifice your life to a set of rules and systems that is dogmatic and built on conformity to your little crowd who believes what you believe. All right, so don't sit there in self-righteous judgment of me, Mr. Uh, More Degrees Than Fahrenheit PhD, thinking you got all the brain smarts when you ain't got a lot of street smarts, dude, right? I heard this college professor with more degrees than common sense talking about how, well, well, maybe we've evolved out of monogamy, you know. I mean, this was this guy's argument, and, and people listen. You know, this guy's wrote papers, and it's like, what? We, yeah, you know, we, maybe we've just in our identity today, we've evolved past monogamy, and for men, especially, this guy's saying that, you know, we're gonna have more than one spouse during life or whatever. We're we need more than one partner, and it's like, dude, you're just. It's just narcissism, man. You just love yourself. Like, do you even see how silly that argument is in the first place? You go back to like the Old Testament and this guy, King Solomon. I mean, King Solomon got more tail than Gene Simmons. It's just a ridiculous, silly argument. Asking the question, how, right, how did we get here without enough common sense or street smarts to really get to the why of how we got here, right? So it was almost like I, I was taught so much moralism in this evangelical kind of upbringing that I had, the, the little of it that I learned and, and wrapped my brain around. It was like... Okay, so I need to be more like little Johnny sitting up there in the front of the class. How do I how do I become more like him? 
right? I mean, and that was asking the wrong question, really. Thinking that if I can become more like little Johnny, then maybe God will answer my prayers, and that's not how how it works. It's it's not about the what as much as it is the why, right? And you know, when you're looking at this, why does God answer the prayers of the righteous? Or why does God have more weight, it seems, on the prayers of the righteous? You, you got to look at also the, these metaphors or parables in the Bible where God is speaking to us as children, right? God is a father, we're children. God is a good father who gives good gifts to his kids. God wants to receive us like a little kid putting his arm out going, Abba, Father, right? That's in Scripture as well. We approach him like, like little kids reaching for Daddy. And if you have kids, you can relate to this, you know. Some paradigm shift happens in a parent, you know. You just see the world differently when you have this little person that you're responsible for, that you want good for, you know. It's how God sees us. He loves us. He wants good for us. And he also wants good for our brothers and sisters, you know. So, say that you're the parent of Johnny and Susie, right? Johnny's in the front of the class there, right? Johnny's got his act together. Johnny's obedient. Susie isn't. Susie's not obedient. Susie is uh, smacking Johnny in the back of the head with a two-by-four, all right? And then, and then Susie goes in and she asks for a cookie, right? I just smacked my brother with a two-by-four, and he's over there crying in the corner. And then, and then she comes up and says, can, can I have a cookie? <laughs> I mean, what would you do as a parent, right? No, you can't have a cookie! But the truth is that earthly parents are flawed, you know? Earthly fathers aren't like our Father in Heaven, and we start to... I mean, that's why it's so important to have a good family structure, you know? To, to love your family, to love your kids. Because as, as dads, especially, man, we are showing a kind of mirror image of who God is a little bit, right? But God isn't our earthly father. God isn't our earthly parents that can be abusive, you know? Can, it, it can just attack little Susie. Well, you're going to get a spanking, or you're going to get this or that, and not that a spanking's bad, but you first you ask, right, why did you do that? Why did you hit little Johnny in the head with a two-by-four? I mean, you get to the question, and you start asking the whys in a loving way, trying to understand that kid. And Susie may say, well... I don't know. You know. So you have to ask more questions. And this is how this works. You know, I, Again, I've been in so many recovery groups where people say, just give me the how-to guide. And they're not asking the whys, right? It's not that God wants you to be little Johnny. It's that God wants you to be you. And he wants you to understand why in order for behavior change to happen. And it's not that God doesn't listen to your prayers because you're not good. That's just not... Prayers of repentance, for example, are asking for forgiveness, are saying that, hey, maybe I did something bad, right? That's like worldly guilt and, and godly guilt. Godly guilt 
leads to conviction that changes the heart. Worldly guilt just says, oh, I'm just a piece of crap. I'm a piece of garbage. And it leads to self-hatred and death. You know, you do something bad, again, you ought to feel bad. If you don't, you're a sociopath, you know, psychopath. I mean, it's good to feel something negative when you do something bad and wrong. But again, Romans 2, it's God's loving kindness. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Not his harshness. Not his rod and paddle and, you know, furrowed brow and crossed arms. No, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's in the Bible. So, and listen, man, I get you. I've been there. I've been through years and years of studying the how-to manual and failing. Asking, you know, why do I do this? How do I get to a different place, you know, in my behavior? It's a different what? It's a different why. Getting underneath, getting into your heart and asking why do you pick up the how-to manual in the first place? First, I'll address the uh, right having a righteous person pray for you. In context, this comes from James chapter 5. We'll start here in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. This is important, right? Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. All right? This is part of being in community. And the Bible says this a lot. Um, pray for one another. First John, you know, confess your sins one to another and the Lord will forgive you of all of your sins. Right? I mean, this is over and over again. Peter says this. James says this. Be in community with one another. Pray for each other. You know, don't hold all your, your stuff in the dark, all alone, without somebody around to, to love you through it. James 4 is about submitting ourselves to God, right? Submitting ourselves to His will. This is also in the Lord's Prayer. It starts out with the, hallowed be your name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is submitting ourselves to God's will before our own. James 4, he says, you know, when you ask, you do not receive. This is verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may get 
spend what you get on yourself, right? It's it's self-absorbed prayer for stuff that you really don't need, you know? Like praying to win the lottery. I mean, (laughs) that usually doesn't go well. Praying for money, praying for wealth. I mean, it's like this show Lottery Nightmares on AMC in my country. It's a lottery, you know, reality show about lottery winners. And and for most people, it doesn't go well. It's that heart-level, heart condition of worldliness, you know. Just locking ourselves up in the things of this world. Wanting and craving and, and lusting after, hoarding our hearts towards just stuff that's just going to stay here. God wants our, our desires to be deeper than that. It's not wrong having money, right? It's, it's not wrong to be wealthy, but it, it is if you're not using it to impact the hearts of, of the people that you love, right? People that are important. Pushing back what's evil and hurtful and cold in the world. But then there's also this economy of righteousness, right? See, the thing about the, the righteous person having praying for you is that the righteous person is someone who is right confessing their sins, has asked Jesus into their heart, is covered by the blood of Christ. Listen, all people are bad, right? It's like I said in that show I did on the topic of evil. Everyone's got evil in them. It's that we turn from that. It's that we're asking Jesus to save us. It's that we're not religious and we get all excited in the economy of our own good works, you know, so we can look down on others. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 7, uh, talking about repenting of religion. You know, why do you point out the speck in your brother's eye and and you got a log or a beam hanging out of your own eye. Why don't you why don't you remove the beam or the big chunk of wood hanging out of your eye and then you can see enough, <laughs> right, to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And it's kind of like this is some comedy from Jesus as well. You know, Jesus was being fun and and kind of, I don't know, was he making fun of religious people? Maybe. I I don't think he said it with like a furrowed brow and everything and he was all angry. No. It's like this plank speckism and, you know, the, the sin of religion. It just totally brings that to light, you know. Religious people need to be confronted on their sin just as much as the, any other sinner. All right, and that's all of us because we all are guilty of plank speckism at some point in our lives, right? And this is all in Matthew 7, and it's important to realize also that, that this goes into some prayer language as well. Um, I, I used to think growing up in this kind of evangelical culture where, you know, if you're a good enough person and you have enough faith, then God will just give you anything you want, right? Like God will answer your prayer and give you what you want, give you what you need. Um, God does always answer prayer. You know, that's true. It's either yes, no, or wait. You know, God is a loving father. He wants to give us what we need. He wants to give us what's good for us. He wants to give us what's going to nourish our soul over time. But really, in Matthew 7, the context of ask, seek, knock is 
it's one of being in conflict with other people, right? Learning to do life with others without harshly judging them. Speaking the truth in love, right? That kind of thing. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, whoever asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. This isn't me asking for a Porsche and expecting God to give that to me because I'm seeking it or because I asked for it so I should automatically get a Porsche because I gave my 10% tithe to the... Right? I mean, that's not what he's talking about here. I was listening to these uh, lectures on, on life coaching and life coach training and stuff. It's really fascinating. And being a good coach, you pull out of someone... Right, helping other people find greatness in themselves by asking the right questions, by seeking out some of their own talents and abilities. You know, ask, seek, knock. This is this is doing life with other people in relationship. It's not judging them. I have a I have a post-it note here on the dashboard of my van, and it it, it says habit. Right, create this habit, Ross. Ask. You know, when I get in conflicts, it's easy to judge people. It's easy to, to snap judgment, start thinking about, you know, how they should, should, ought to, you know, think, do as I do, <laughs> instead of ask, you know. Like if my son, for example, says, Dad, I don't want to go to church, and I would, you know, I, I could just jump all over him, and you should go to church, and let me tell you why you are going to church, and just kind of crowd over him with judgment. I mean, a lot of us do that to our kids and then we wonder why they don't open up to us. Instead, it's going, well, why don't you want to go to church? And, and, and then asking more questions as, as those, those doors become open, right? And a great thing to pray for in these situations, being with other people, right, is... is and he goes right into that here in Matthew 7. He says, you know, if you who are evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to you? You know, ask for the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, God will give that. God loves you. I love that he actually says that. Like, you're evil and you want to give your kids good stuff. How much more will God give you if you ask for the Holy Spirit? Matthew 18, you know, where, where more than two are gathered, there the Lord is also. The, again, the context of that, it's not that, oh, well, that's church, right? Well, there's three of us together. We're doing a prayer meeting. We're, the Lord's there with us. <laughs> this is, of course, the Lord's there. I mean, but what, what Jesus was talking about is to be encouraged because the Holy Spirit's there when you're confronting another brother about sin, you know, in a lot of cases. When you're trying to help out someone that you love and enter into conflict with somebody. Remember that the Lord's there with you. And then in verse 12, Jesus, you know, he goes into the golden rule. That's a direct quote from Matthew 7, the, the golden rule. Treat other people as you would want to be treated yourself. Love other people like that. Have value. Look, you know, encourage. Look at them as having dignity. Love other people in the way that you would want to be, you know, admired, regarded, loved, right? 
And the biggest thing I want to get across in this message is I don't want you to, you know, the subjective encroachment on your own personal data, all right? Part of my healing, part of my growing through this, through this addiction, having a stranglehold of my life, a big part of me growing through this was releasing my own stubborn, subjective attitude towards what other people had going on in their faith and in their prayer life and in their results and really realizing that it's my relationship with God. Like, you, behind your eyes, have a personal relationship with God, and, and so do I. But I, I could get my eyes off of that when, when it just became subjective, right? When God w was not the object, I would look at people and say, well, that cat, he's praying, he's getting what he's, you know, whatever, you know, his blessing. And, and I would think behind my eyes, well, look at him. Not look at God. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus' relationship with Russ Shaw in my spirit, behind my eyes. That's why I say that so much. I loved some of that language in First Thessalonians, you know, pray without ceasing, studying cognitive neuroscience, you know, and some of this, our self-talk, the fact that our minds are continually speaking, right? Like we're always talking to ourselves at some degree. And, and that, over time, these behaviorists, cognitive scientists, have learned that the, what you say to yourself changes the way you feel over time. And, and I love that that's in the Bible. It's like, you know what? Invite God into your self-talk. Pray in your, throughout your day, just what's going on in your life. Just talking to God, thanking God, asking God for stuff you need, and He loves you, and He wants to, to you know, He knows what you need before you even ask. I, I love that language too. But really, being in prayer constantly is simply inviting God into your, your self-talk, you know, your cognitions. And again, God's not like your earthly father or mother, you know, many times as parents, you know, human fallen parents will use guilt in order to get a kid to obey because it seems to work faster, right? Why can't you be more like your brother or you know, stuff like that? It just seems to be a, it's a quick spray of anger and it, it just makes us feel better usually as sinful fallen parents. See, and this had a lot to do with my relationship with God. When I was sitting there in church hearing about how God listens to the prayers of the righteous, and I was like looking at, again, the little Johnny metaphor, really I was acting out a lot of my sinful, angry stuff that came flowing out of me was like, all right, God doesn't love me because I can't be good. All right, well, let me see how bad I can be. And maybe the real truth is that there's life over here on this side being angry, bad, bitter inside. 
and a lot of you listening have grown up in churches where the gospel has been neglected and moralistic deism has been preached. So it's not about Jesus, it's about do better, try harder, be more religious. Because the facts are that most of you listening, you can identify with Dennis the Menace, right? I felt like Dennis the Menace. But there was parts of me in my own strengths, right? My own gifts and talents that God gave me where I could be prideful too. Where I could feel like I was above other people. I'm smarter than other people. You know, I'm more confident. Uh, stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's just brutal. And that's the funny thing about the gospel is that God loves Dennis the Menace. You know, God loves us if you don't know that uh, metaphor, it's a, a gold comic book where Dennis the, the Menace is this little kid who's always getting into trouble in his neighborhood. And Mr. Wilson is always after him. And we can relate because there's always a troublemaker kid in every neighborhood. who, And there's always a Mr. Wilson, you know. Sometimes I forget I'm speaking to a, a worldwide audience, and, and some of you may not get my random uh, American metaphors, but that's Dennis the Menace. Google Dennis the Menace. You'll, you'll like him. He's funny. Uh, my point in prayer, what do you ask for and why? Right? How many prayers of yours are prayers of gratitude? Like praying over a meal, you know. I, I grew up thinking that praying over a meal was so that I'm not going to get sick, you know. Bless the meal, dad or whoever, right, grandpa. Um, and it was like, you know, trying to protect yourself from, uh, God, please don't kill me as I eat this meal. <laughs> That's what I got in my head, right? It wasn't about saying grace. The reason we say grace is because we've been given grace, I mean, I say that a lot with my kids and trying to understand a different economy. I pray over our meals and I'll say, you know, most of the world isn't going to eat like this today. Thank you that we get to eat this kind of food because most of the world ain't going to eat like this. I mean, the grace that you've given us, Lord, just to be able to, to consume this meal. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Right? It's a different approach in my spirit to God in, in just in just consuming a meal. How often are you afraid to approach God's throne, right, in, in prayer because you're thinking about the other guy, you know? But realize this relationship that you have between God is between you and him. There's a whole reality show starring you that's under the audience of one, and that is the creator of the universe. And yes, God has that much time because he's infinite and all-seeing and all-knowing. All right? What does your story look like? Are you in the narrative of Dennis the Menace? Right? Who, who are you in God's story? I think we're all Dennis the Menace, even the religious guy, even Johnny in the front of the class, you know. I, I was really surprised at the Holy Scriptures and how Jesus had more venom towards the guys who had memorized whole books of the Bible and were tithing out of their spice rack. Jesus had, you know, Dennis the Menace kind of Mr. Wilson words for those guys. 
more than the prostitutes and the, and the tax collectors who the tax collectors were basically thugs who took money from other people to finance a violent oppressive regime all right we don't really have anything like that at least in my country here in the west um, but that's what these cats did you know the, the tax collectors the prostitutes the sinners Jesus had a different attitude towards the Pharisee. So in some respects, we're all Dennis the Menace, right? And God loves every single one of us. Like that little kid that keeps getting in trouble. I mean, like that high-energy kid or whatever it is. I mean, God loves. That's what God does. God loves. So what do you pray for when you pray? Have you asked God a bunch of times like I did to take this from you? I had to realize he didn't give it to me. Sexual addiction was something that I cultivated over the years. It was a place I ran. It was a place of refuge. God says, take refuge in me. The psalmist says, take refuge. Those who take refuge in the Lord, their, 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 their faces are radiant, right? Praying like that. Like, help me take refuge in you. There's very few people that I know that prayed for God to just release them of their sexual addiction, and he did. I have met some who have, and I do honestly believe that that was the truth about their story. There's some of them that I have met, and I'm like, eh, okay, <laughs> you know. But there's some of them that I, I know sincerely that they have been set free from this with a simple prayer. But they are very, very few, all right? They are the exception to the rule. God wants most of us to work this thing out in his story, in his meta-narrative. We are part of God's story. God has a reality show, again, starring us with an audience of one. And he loves us and he wants us to choose him. And you look at the Bible, it's over and over again, these stories. God tells his story with a bunch of different stories of people that he loves and their conflicts and their struggles and their ways that they sought him as refuge. You ever notice when you walk away from a good story, a good movie, that you feel a sense of clarity, you know? Like, like the world is a little, makes a little more sense after a, a really good story, a really good narrative. Ever notice that? I've, I have. I, mean, I walked out of that movie, The Avengers, and I was, for a few days I'm going, yeah, man, <laughs> you know, I love that movie, Avengers. You know, it's just good stories kind of shine what God is doing in the world, you know. Your story has a ripple effect through the people that you know. Will you let God co-author your life through prayer? Realize that you're not the director, he is. He is writing your story, you're co-authoring your story. You're getting involved in what God's doing. Can you have that kind of attitude in your prayer life? What does that look like? What do you pray for? What lights you up? What shows and shines on meaning in your life? Something to think about this week in your prayer life is something that really had me grow in a season of 
looking right underneath these strong appetites and desires that were on the surface was praying about Lord help me have deeper desires show me better what's to pray for right show me better what's and how's and things to ask for help me be grateful for the things that I have you know hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give me today what I need right daily bread deliver me from evil and help me in my heart let go of that stuff that I got against others right I'm paraphrasing here for yours is the glory and the honor it's, it's to glorify you that the things that I ask for I may get right not for my glory but yours amen That's how Jesus asks us to pray. Deeper things to ask for, right? And I pray that you consider Jesus. I just want to play a little part of the song, a bumper. Um, this is a sweet song, and no, I don't agree with all the lyrics in it. It is, it is an approach by someone to ask the question, what if God was one of us, right? What if God went to the bathroom, you know? He... He had to walk places. He he got stuff on his feet, right? He washed feet. Jesus did, right, get close to jacked up human beings. Jesus did have his heart broken. What if God was one of us? I love this tune. Jesus did walk in human flesh. He can relate to you. Part of why I'm a Christian. I don't trust a God that couldn't come down to my level, you know? And He did. He loves us. Came down to our level, walked among us as a human being, entered time and space as a man, lived without sin, and died the death we should have died. Because He loves us. Because He knew we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. Love you guys. Until next time. Bye. If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question?